some shoes. Um, we'll leave that right here down by the piano. Does it do the shade? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Praise God for being a family of families. Um, <clears throat> this morning, have you had the privilege of hearing the love of God? Yeah? Have you had the privilege of being the instrument through which the love of God is heard? I hope so. I hope so. And don't worry, the day's not over. You can be that instrument uh, loud and clear. Um, I'm having Joe set up um, a whiteboard for me because I want each and every one of us to be able to take some notes today. And uh, this usually just kind of helps me visualize my notes. So (laughs) I'm just going to kind of use this. Thank you very much. So we're just going to do a very brief Bible study today. Today is revealing, revealing the Spirit's presence part two. Revealing the Spirit's presence part two. For the last two months, we have been zeroing in on the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've been asking for the Spirit, learning how to pray for the Spirit. We've been asking, well, what are the conditions in our lives that are going to make us ready to receive God's Spirit? And now we're actually looking at the practical impact of God's Spirit in our lives. Two weeks ago, we talked about revealing God's Spirit, revealing the presence of His Spirit through the fruits of the Spirit. Do you remember that? Yeah? Okay, maybe some of us do. (laughs) We talked about the fruit of the Spirit, that that when Jesus takes residence in our hearts, He shows through. You remember the story of the little girl who asked her grandma while she was sitting in church, Grandma, did the preacher say that Jesus is bigger than us? (laughs) And Grandma says, yes, Jesus is bigger than us. A few minutes later, she's scribbling on her piece of paper, coloring or whatever. She tugs on Grandma's shoulder and says, Grandma, did, did, G- did the preacher say that Jesus actually lives in us? She said, yes, Jesus is bigger than us, and he lives in us. Little girl turns to Grandma and says, well, if he's bigger than us and he lives in us, then shouldn't some of him show through? Amen? Amen? And so we've been asking, how does Jesus, when he takes residence in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, how does he show through? Two weeks ago, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. He bears his character out in our lives. It's externally tangible. It's evident in our lives. And now we're going to turn the corner here and we're asking, okay, so when Jesus gives us his character, is that all or is there more? How How does the Spirit reveal his presence in our lives? I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Here's where we're going to start. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, because I think when we want to understand the life of Christ in us, we can always look to the life of Christ that he lived for us. So in Luke chapter 4, I want us just to use this as a starting point to see how, what was Jesus' experience when the Holy Spirit anointed him? And we're going to start in Luke chapter 4 verse 1, just briefly hit on a few highlight passages. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 4. And I'm starting in verse 1, reading from the New King James. Actually, before we even start to read, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, you know, we don't want to just go about this as a routine, something we do uh, just on a weekly basis, flipping through the pages of these scriptures. Lord, we want to go about this with a trembling heart. In Isaiah 66, it says that you look on the one whose heart trembles at your word. And could it be that the very same word that spoke light and life into existence actually wants to speak to us today? God, please, give us a sense of 
of focus and fervency about what you want to say to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would take my feeble words, hide me in the shadow of your goodness, and please, through the spirit of truth, translate truth to our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen. So here we are, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and the Bible says, then Jesus, what are the next two words? Full or being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Very interesting. That Luke chapter 4 starts with this story. It, it, it comes on the heels, it comes on the heels of a genealogy that Luke pre, uh, inserts right here. But in terms of narrative history, it comes right after Jesus' baptism at the Jordan River. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22 records how Jesus was baptized, and when he came up out of the water, he was praying, and the heavens were open. A ho- the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. You remember this story, yes or no? Yeah? And in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led into the wilderness, which means that just because you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we have a walk in the park. In fact, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and are led by the Holy Spirit, we will go through trials and tribulations victoriously. All right. I want you to skim down a little bit later in verse 14. So in verses 1 through 11 of Luke chapter 4, Jesus is battling with the devil in the wilderness, and he is victorious where we have been defeated. Praise God. And in verse 14, notice, after the wilderness experience, it says, Then Jesus returned, that means he goes back to civilized society, he goes back to Galilee. Then Jesus returned in the power of whom? Of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the region, all the surrounding regions. So here's Jesus, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And because of the wilderness experiences, as he's seeking God's mission in his life, as he's seeking to rely fully upon God, he comes back in the full power of the Spirit. This is powerful. And then in verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Okay, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and he's applying these very words from Isaiah 61 to himself. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to sit down in a pew and be filled with warm fuzzies. No! The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. When Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was a man on a mission. Could it be that Jesus' experience is to be our experience? That when we pray and seek God's face to be filled with the power of the Spirit in our lives, He will fill us with a mission for the kingdom. I, I believe it's true. And, 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 and the Apostle Paul, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, just very briefly, uh, this is one of those passages in which Paul writes concerning something, a concept called spiritual gifts. Have you heard that phrase before? Spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, I'll read from verses 4 through 7. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and start jotting these scriptures down. You can dig into them more deeply. But right here, this is, we're just kind of setting up the framework of our study. So Jesus, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was a man on a mission. He was sent out to preach. He was anointed by the Spirit to do, to work, to advance his kingdom. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, when you're there, say amen. Okay? The Bible says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to just a few people who like to talk up front. Praise God, that's not what my Bible says. Okay, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So here, Paul takes this, the experience of Jesus was that when he was filled with the Spirit, he went out to do ministry. Could it be that when we, as, as followers of Jesus, are not just fans who cheer Jesus on as he does ministry, no, we actually get to be part of the game, and he fills us so we can do ministry with him. Are we following today, yes or no? That when the Holy Spirit actually fills our lives, we're not just spectators anymore. We're not just spectators anymore. Okay, so... What does that look like? What does that look like when the Holy Spirit manifests these different gifts in our lives? Today, I want to look at two passages and just, just parallel a couple of points, actually four points to be precise. So, if you have a piece of paper, like I do up here, all right, if you have a piece of paper, go ahead and, and split your paper, make a table, just a straight line down across, and on the left side of the table, we're going to put Ephesians chapter 4, and on the right side of the table, we're going to put 1 Peter, chapter 4. All right, we're going to take a look at two passages, and I would encourage you to go ahead and find those passages now. Let's find Ephesians, chapter 4, and 1 Peter, chapter 4, we'll turn to in just a little bit. So Ephesians, if you were in 1 Corinthians, you're just turning a little bit to the right, a little bit to the right, you'll pass 2 Corinthians, then Galatians, then Ephesians. These are all letters or epistles that Paul has written to various congregations of believers, to different groups of believers who had put their faith in Jesus. And the letter of Ephesians is a one powerful letter. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to just read through the whole letter all, all the way through. But I would encourage you to, to do that sometime. In the first three chapters, Paul is just magnifying all that the grace of God has accomplished for us. It's amazing. He says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have been seated in heavenly places with Christ. In chapter 2, he says, for by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen? And, and so he's highlighting the impact of God's grace in our lives. He's saying that God's grace has actually brought about a new humanity. I mean, you find these phrases where Paul is just really uh, magnifying everything that grace really accomplishes in our lives. People who are estranged from one another now can be joined in one family. He's highlighting unity and all these different things. And now, when we get to Ephesians chapter 4, look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, and what is the very first word that you see in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1? 
What is it? Oh, okay. Oh, man, it does say I. What's the second word? I'm sorry. <laughs> Therefore, okay, very good. All right, you got me. Here we go. <laughs> Therefore, right? Paul is now turning the corner. He's saying, look, this is the indicative. This is what has been accomplished. Therefore, this is what should be accomplished. Okay? He's getting practical now. He's turning it to the ethical imperative here. And this is so, so characteristic of Paul. But what I want us to get to is that in verse 4, he's saying, look, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Really? I mean, this is, this is intense stuff when you think about it. But Jesus is all. And we, when we join him, we become part of someone who is much bigger than me, myself, and I. There's a community. There's a consciousness of unity. And then in the next verse, it starts with the word, but. What do you mean? <laughs> but this unity stuff is so nice to think. Okay, but to each one. Which means that in this unity, your individuality is not lost. Do you understand that? So we're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. Okay, so we're going to write four phrases up here under the column of Ephesians chapter 4. It's specifically coming from verse 7. The first phrase is this, number one. Okay, so I realize that I'm not going to write big enough for everybody to see. So <laughs> this is, okay, so maybe this is a pointless exercise. But here's what I want you to write down. Okay, the first phrase is each one. Can you write down each one? Okay, which means that when, when Paul is going to start talking about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, he's not just talking about a blanket uniformity sort of way. He's saying that God's grace is going to work individually in each one's life. Okay, next phrase. But to each one of us, what was given? Okay, my, my Bible says grace was given. Grace was given. So I'm going to write that next phrase. Grace was given. Now think about this. I've already kind of forewarned you that we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts, and that's what this context is really indicating. But notice, have you ever thought about this, that phrase, spiritual gift? It's a gift. It's something you've been given. In other words, that spiritual gift, that, that skill or ability or uniqueness that you alone have or you especially have, it's not something that you yourself drummed up. Yeah. Did you know that? Your gift to be hospitable, your gift to teach, your gift to help here and there behind the scenes, that gift was actually given you. And that's why Paul uses the word grace was given you. In other words, it was purchased for you and provided to you. You have nothing to claim for. <laughs> you and I have nothing to claim for these gifts. This is a very humbling reality, and Paul wants us to know that it's grace was given. Okay, now it, he says this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to what? According to, my Bible says, the measure of the gift of Christ? Okay, I don't have enough room. Uh, of gift of, I'm going to put X. Okay, Christ. 
measure of the gift of Christ, or measure of Christ's gift. Now here's, okay, this is, this is actually really cool. So that word gift, where it says in verse 7, Christ's gift. Eleven times it appears in the New Testament. Of those eleven times, they're either referring to the gift of salvation, such as the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, okay? So it's either talking about the gift of salvation or the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, we're talking about grace being given to us, and it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. <laughs> now think about this. Think about this. If I'm giving you, if, let's say here, uh, if I'm giving you um, granola, I really like granola, okay? <laughs> if, I, if I'm giving you granola tomorrow morning, and I'm giving it to you according to the measure of my bucket, okay? That's a lot of granola, right? That's a nice big bucket load of granola. probably lasts you a month or so. Okay, but if I'm giving it to you according to the measure of, you know, of a semi-truck tank, okay, that, that, that's infinitely more, right? <laughs> okay, now here's the thing. Paul is saying that we have been given grace according to a certain measure. What measure did he just describe? According to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's salvation. According to the measure of Christ's Holy Spirit. Is that a limited measuring spoon, yes or no? <laughs> it's unspeakably infinite. Do you understand that the grace that you've been given has been given according to a measuring spoon that has no limit. Let that sink in for just a little bit. Maybe you have thought that you haven't been given very much grace in your life. Maybe you have thought that you haven't been given very much potential to serve. But according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, your potential to serve that wasn't drummed up by you, that wasn't earned by you, but was provided by the infinite God, was actually provided in an infinite measure, according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's powerful. Okay, here we go. And in verse 8, it says, therefore, he says, so now he's tagging on to this idea of the infinite measure of Christ's in unspeakable gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. When did Jesus ascend on high? When did Jesus ascend on high? Okay, post-resurrection. He came out of the grave, right? He came out of the grave, and I guess we might formally say that after the 40 days that he spent with the disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God, according to Acts chapter 1, after that, when he ascended on high, he actually sat next to the right hand of God. And we've talked about this in a previous sermon series, that his inauguration upon the throne up in heaven was what, there was given a tangible token of that. Do you remember what tangible token was given? It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In other words, when Jesus sat upon the throne in heaven, there was given an indication on earth that Jesus was the king. And that indication on earth was us being filled with the Holy Spirit. So anytime we realize that we've been given grace and it's according to the measure of Christ's gift, 
that's actually evidence of the fact that Jesus has ascended on high. Your gift and mine, when we exercise that, we are proclaiming that Jesus is king. We are proclaiming that he led captivity captive. Captivity captive, what does that mean? He took death by the throat and says, I win. Okay? <laughs> Jesus took captivity captive he, and he gave us gifts. He gave us gifts, specifically the gift of the Holy Spirit and it's manifested to each one as grace given to us. Okay, these spiritual gifts. Okay, so now we're asking this question. Well, let's just keep reading the passage. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. It says, Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Okay, so he's essentially saying that Jesus has traversed the chasm between heaven and earth. Yes, he went down to the lowest parts of, of the depths of humanity. He himself was in the tomb. He experienced eternal separation from God for us so that we would never have to experience it ourselves. In verse 10, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. This is actually a really neat uh, Hebrew way of thinking. Uh, you know how in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now Hebrew thinking has this idea that when you kind of when you mark out the bookends of something, you're really referring to the fact that everything in between is, in, is involved in that. So when we say Jesus, or God created the heavens and the earth, we're saying that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between, okay? So when Jesus is, uh, went from the depths of the earth and ascended to on high, he fills everything between. He is in control of everything between, including your heart and mine. It reflects the prayer, actually, that, he, that Paul prayed in, in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, he prayed that we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ah, oh, God has provided so much for us. And in verse 11, notice now verse 11, he's getting specific. He's getting specific about some of these gifts. He's not, I'll just say this right up front, he's not giving an exhaustive list. In fact, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, or Romans chapter 12, you see that, that Paul and Peter, they actually reference different gifts in those lists. So he's not trying to be exhaustive here, but notice, it says, and he himself gave some to be, what's the first word there? Apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now you're thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I think about when I think of spiritual gifts. These are more of the, uh, the upfront or on the forefront roles. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Apostles, those are those who are pushing forward the work. They're being sent out. Apostello means to be sent out. These are our missionaries. These are our church planters. Uh, prophets, these are people who are speaking on behalf of God. Evangelists, these are who, those who are specifically proclaiming the good news of who God is. Some pastors and teachers, these are the instructors. Okay. And a lot of times in our minds, we look at verse 11 and you say, yep, that's not me. <laughs> Has anybody been there? Yeah? And we, we look at those gifts and we say, okay, those are the quote-unquote ministers. Okay, I'm going to use that in just a little bit, but I want us to kind of realize where we are. When we think of minister, we think of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But watch what he does in verse 12. These ministerial, quote-unquote, these ministerial gifts, he says that there's a specific purpose for it in verse 12. 
These, the purpose of these forefront gifts, these leadership-type gifts, says for the equipping of the who? Saints. Okay, your Bible says people, mine says saints. Okay, we're referring to the equipping of God's people, collectively, okay? Every one of us included. So Jesus gave these leadership-type gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the equipping of God's people, for the work of, what's the next word? Service. Okay, my Bible actually says ministry. I want us to write this down now. Okay, so we've got three phrases. The fourth phrase is this. Work of ministry. Work of ministry. Question, according to verse 12, who's, to whom does the work of ministry belong? The saints. The people. Are we following this train of thought? Yes or no? Those gifts in verse 11 that we often associate to quote-unquote ministry, they're actually meant to get God's people ministering. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next Sabbath, okay? (laughs) But I want us to get the idea that the gifts, the grace that has been given to us according to this infinite measuring spoon is actually for us to experience ministry. Do we know what ministry is? It comes from a Greek word, diakonis. 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 It means through the dust. Through the dust. Some have suggested that the reason why... So diakonis, it's translated as ministry. Sometimes it's translated as deacon. You kind of hear the cognate, diakonis, deacon. It, it comes from two words, through the dust. And some, uh, some commentaries have suggested that it's because it's referring to the word picture of so speedily going about an errand that you kick up dust behind you. You're willing to get dirty as you go about ministry. So we've been given gifts according to an infinite measuring spoon so we could get dirty in ministry. All right, get dirty, serving. Okay, Whew. time's running out. Here we go. First Peter chapter 4, let's go. First Peter chapter 4. So we're in Ephesians. Just keep flipping a little bit to the right, a little bit to the right. You'll pass the books that start with the letter T, and then you'll get to Hebrews and James, and then First Peter chapter 4. If you've gotten to Revelation, you've gone too far. First Peter chapter 4, and I want us to take a look at verses 10 and 11. And I want us to notice, just as we quickly read verse 10, that there are some parallels going on here. In verse 10, is everybody there? Say yes. Yes. All right. We'll wait a little bit longer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Okay. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible says, okay, so we've got four phrases from Ephesians 4. Each one was given, uh, grace was given, Uh, according to the measure of the gift of Christ for the work of ministry. Let's see how Peter thinks of these things. Verse 10, the Bible says, as what? Okay, every man, my Bible says, as each one. Okay, so again, the individuality is there. Everybody's included. Nobody is left out. Amen? Okay, as each one has received a gift. Do you see the parallels so far, yes or no? 
So Peter, just like Paul, he recognizes that each one has received a gift. Everybody's included, and they've been given something. Something has been provided to them. Uh, this grace is not deserved, but it is bestowed. So each one has received a gift. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Okay, we'll get to that in just a little bit. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the, what does the rest of that verse say in your Bible? Of the manifold grace of God. Wow. This is like a Hallmark card, okay? Manifold grace. Okay, I'm just going to put those two words. Manifold grace. I looked up that word manifold. Where does that come from, manifold? And I looked it up, and it it literally means many-colored. Lots of shades. Are you thankful that this earth, when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't create it in a monochromatic sort of way? (laughs) Are you thankful that he didn't create everything brown? He didn't create everything gray. In fact, he created everything with many colors. And in the same way, God's grace is many-colored. I looked up the times in which manifold, this word, is used. And in most of the occurrences, there's ten occurrences of the word. Eight out of the ten, it's in reference to manifold or various diseases. Manifold or various temptations. Manifold or various lusts or passions. So many negative things that are of our own weakness or of Satan's trials and temptations that he throws our way. Do you realize that Satan's schemes to take us down are manifold? Do you realize that they're so complex, so nuanced that you just can't, you know, you, you just can't write about it, like you just can't list it out? It, it's, it's that his uh, sin is so complex that it requires a complex solution. In the same way that, that, that our weaknesses and that Satan's temptations are manifold, God's grace is abundantly more manifold. Okay? And so God's manifold grace has actually been given to each and every one of us. Now notice what we're supposed to do because we have this manifold grace. So verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards. Okay, so the fourth phrase I'm going to put down is minister as good stewards. Are we seeing the parallels? Yes or no? So each one, there's an individuality that's taking place. It's, it's all across the board. There's a grace that's given. The source of our gifts comes from Jesus alone. The significance of our, of our gifts is that it's according to an infinite measuring spoon, and it's so manifold because the need of the world is so manifold. And when we have received these things, when we have been filled with the Spirit, we will do works of ministry. We will minister, we'll kick up the dust, right? We'll kick up the dust going about good errands as good stewards. What's interesting about this term, stewards, It's very intentional. It stands in opposition to the term owner. Do you understand what I mean? We've been given gifts, not so that we can own them, but so that we can be stewards of them. Now, what does that mean, steward? (laughs) What does it mean to be a steward? It means to be someone who is in charge of something 
for someone else. If I'm an owner of a car, then I can, uh, you know, I can take it wherever I want to, right? <laughs> um, if I'm an owner of a car, I can wash it whenever I want to. I can take it over roads that I, whatever roads I want to. But if I'm renting a car, if I'm borrowing my parents' car, that's going to change the directions I take, right? <laughs> that's going to that's gonna change the way I care for it. Why? Because I'm responsible to someone else. Again, we're not owners of the gifts that Jesus gives us. We are stewards of them. Stewards to kick up the dust. Stewards to do works of ministry and get dirty in the process. Okay, so here's our biblical basis for understanding spiritual gifts, at least for now. Next week, we'll pick it up again. We'll go back to Ephesians chapter 4. But here's what I want us to consider. How many of us long to be good stewards of the, of the gifts of Christ? Amen? Amen. Okay. Here's what I want us to do. On your list, on your piece of paper, I'm going to stop writing just because it's taking me too long. <laughs> but on your list of paper, we're going to establish three foundations, Okay. We're going to build a theology of ministry because I want us to understand this together. If this is true, then let's form some conclusions. We're, we're building a, a found, a three foundational principles for our theology of ministry. The first is this. You can write this down. Ministry is for everyone. All right? Ministry is for everyone. We're building it off of this idea. Look, Paul, Peter, they both say uh, each one has been given gifts, not just a select few, not just the spiritual giants, not just the elite or whoever. You know, spiritual gifts, by the way, is not a way to hierarchize or higher. I'm not even going to try to say that word. It's not a way to build a hierarchy in a congregation. Amen. Each one has been given gifts. Okay, so foundation number one: ministry is for everyone. And why is that so? Because grace has been given to everyone. As soon as we begin to think that ministry is just for a certain set of people, we're actually concluding that grace is just for a certain set of people. Okay? So let's be careful how we talk about this. We, we need to understand that, okay, grace is integrally related to ministry. If God has given me grace, he's given me ministry. It's not just saving grace, it's serving grace. You can write that one down. It's not just saving grace. It's serving grace. Okay, which leads us to our next foundation. If ministry for, is for everyone, then what does it mean to minister? So foundation number one is ministry is for everyone. Foundation number two is ministry means to serve. That's it. Ministry means to serve. If you want, you can write to kick up the dust. <laughs> to get dirty, uh, putting others' needs before our own. You remember Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. What was he trying to say? What was he trying to say? He was saying that I, I am the Son of God. I am the representative of all humanity here. And I came not so that you could cater to my needs, but so that I could meet your needs. Amen? Are we, I mean, this is, when we read about the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, we're talking about the one who could claim equality with God, yet made himself in the form of a servant. And so, if ministry is for everyone, ministry simply means to serve. It means to put others' needs before our own. 
So let's clarify what ministry doesn't mean. If you're called to ministry because you've been given grace, it doesn't mean that you need a seminary training. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Do we follow that? We are all ministers. Now, okay, so the trouble with this is that we have a way that we use the term minister to refer to someone who's clergy, right? We, we, We use that term minister to refer to someone who's paid to do certain tasks in the church. But that's a specific use of the term ministry, and now we're broadening it because that's how the Bible uses it, to include all who have received grace. Are we tracking together today, yes or no? Okay. So ministry, if I'm given grace, that means ministry is for me. If ministry is for me, that means I'm called to serve. The qualification then for ministry is not that I'm talented, but that I'm converted. Amen. If you've been converted by the grace of Jesus, you are a minister of the gospel. All right. I wrote some really good notes down here. <laughs> and I'm wondering how, how much to go through. Okay, so we've talked about it. Saving grace is serving grace, which means that if we've truly received grace, if we've truly received grace, then we're really going to be serving. If we've truly been recipients of grace, that means we're going to be putting others' needs before our own. And what's great about this is that as we seek to bless others, you and I will be blessed in the process. Amen. Proverbs 11:25 it says, He who waters will himself be watered. You feel like you're giving so much. You feel like you're giving all that you've got. Well, praise God that in the process, as you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, Jesus is giving more of himself to you. It's a powerful experience when you begin to focus on someone else's I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You felt down and out about your week. You're, you're kind of moping around. All right, okay, maybe I'm the only one. Right. <laughs> kind of moping around. And then what's What's awesome about Jesus is he knows exactly what you need when you need it. And so many times when I'm in this position, there will be an opportunity for me to forget about myself and help someone else. (laughs) God knows how to do it. Uh, Actually, I read something somewhere. When you feel like you've got it bad, go hunt up somebody else and help them who has it worse off. Okay? (laughs) And that's the simple truth. When you water, you yourself will be watered. All right, so... Two foundational principles so far. Ministry is for everyone. Ministry means service. Here's the third one. The goal of ministry is to be like Jesus. Plain and simple. Or maybe we could add on a phrase. The goal of ministry is to be like Jesus and give glory to God. And give glory to God. You're still in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Notice it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. So after he's said, you know, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11 says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So when we put our gifts to use, when we actually recognize that I've been given grace, I've been entrusted with ministry, when we actually go about it then, all of this is not just so that we can be busy. The point is not just so that we can have a full calendar. The point is not even just so that we can grow a church. 
The point is so that we can give glory to God. Give glory to God. Now, flip back to Ephesians. I should have had you keep a bookmark. I'm so sorry. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Notice how how, uh, Paul kind of climaxes his idea. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll start in verse 12. When you're there, say, I found it again. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. So we've, we've read this, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So this is the direction in which all of our gifts, when we put them to use, this is what's going to result. This is the, the purpose, the final aim, the goal, the objective. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What? Verse 14, that we should no longer be children. Okay, so we're talking about growth here. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning of craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into who? Him who is the head, that is Christ. So the ultimate goal is that when we are ministering, we're actually following in the footsteps of Jesus. That means the goal of ministry is not to be busy, but to be like Jesus. And to give glory to his name. Question today, how many of us want to be like Jesus? (laughs) Amen. How many of us long to give glory to God through our lives? I pray that that would be your prayer and mine every single day. If that's true, then how can we do it? According to this, if I want to be like Jesus, I need to serve. I need to minister. But ministry is not something that we drum up on our own. Ministry is not something that we force ourselves to do, right? Ministry happens as we each one have received grace. Which means that if we want to be like Jesus and if we want to serve, we must first receive God's grace. So question today, do you want to receive God's grace? And maybe that's the prayer that we ought to start with every single day. God, please, cover me with your grace. Fill me with your spirit, not with a finite measuring spoon, but according to the measure of Christ's gift. Fill me with your spirit that I might have a gift to get dirty with and kick up the dust. Fill me with your spirit that I might serve and become like Jesus. So if that's your prayer, if that's your prayer, then I, I would just encourage you right now, just to stand where you are and say, yes, Jesus, I long to receive your grace that I might serve. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Grace is abundantly free. (laughs) Grace has been made provision, not by a finite measuring spoon, but according to the measure of Christ's gift. And today, as we stand here, we're simply confessing to God, yes, God, Make us receivers of grace so we can be givers of the same. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're standing here as a church family and we're recognizing today 
that we long to serve. We we want to be like Jesus. But that only starts in as much as we are willing to receive the grace of Christ. So, Father, we're standing because our simple prayer is that we would receive grace. We want to be filled with your spirit today, God. We long to know that there are ways in which we can kick up the dust. And so we pray that if this is true, that ministry is for everyone, and ministry simply means to serve, then God, as we serve, may we give you glory. As we serve, may we become like Jesus. And as we serve, may the world know that you are God. Thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity just to make ourselves available to you because you have infinitely made yourself available to us. And this is our simple and grateful response. In Jesus' name, as the family say, amen, amen. You may be seated. And again, I want to encourage you to, uh, to join us in Bellman Hall um, as we share lunch together. If you are looking for the 40 Days of Prayer group here in the side room, you can join this room to the side. Your directories are also available in the library hallway. God bless.